Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, Rakia, welcome to Design Your Life and Business podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited about this conversation. I feel like this is an important topic that is not discussed enough, and we're going to talk about womanhood and parenthood, motherhood, and all things when it comes to business and being a successful business owner and entrepreneur. Thank you for coming on. My lady actually introduced us, so I know that this conversation is going to be dope. So let's get into it. First question I ask every guest is, who are you? Who is Rakia Finley? That's a good first question. I am Akia Finley. I am the CEO of Copper and Vine Studio. We are one of the only Black female-led product design studios focused on building digital products and innovations throughout the world on behalf of the world. Before that, I've been a database architect for over 20 years. I've been a business owner since I was 19 years old, and I focus predominantly in the community talking about the power of mental health, executive leadership, and what it really means to own all of your life in a place of abundance and joy. I travel a lot, some for work and some for play, and I'm a very happy mother of an eight-year-old son. Wow. You covered a lot and you broke a lot of glass ceilings there, and I'm glad that you mentioned all of that. One, that you spoke on is IT. You know, there's I do a lot of work with WSTEM and looking to get more women in the sciences, especially tech. So what got you interested in tech early on? You know, I wish I had some really astute story, but to be honest, I am a product of a single mother. I am from not the best side of the road. And I am a product of every after school program that I knew was better than being home with no food. And a lot of those programs in the 90s were computer programs. And I became obsessed with them. And when I was, I believe, 16 years old, a church member gifted our family an old computer. And so I could successfully go to high school. And I immediately wanted to use all the skills that I had learned in after school programs. I originally did not turn that talent for good. I started building websites. I was the MySpace page hustler. I was who you gave $20 to to make a really dope MySpace page. I would code quiz answers in the T9 calculators. So that was for $30. And I you know, made my way through high school as that person. I got to college and I couldn't knock the hustle. So I then began to code quiz answers and things in freshman year of college. That led very short because I had beautiful mentors. I went to Hampton University and I was pulled to the side and I was like, told that I was brilliant and I need to use my powers for good. And that sent me on a path for building technology and innovation, first for nonprofits, then for hospitality industry. Um, I built the very first mobile application for Starwood Hotels. And then that eventually led me into data, which led me into artificial intelligence, where I focused on building phonetically responsible AI that talked and spoke to our culture and our people. But humble beginning. I was the IT hustler. Yeah, no, I love that because what I heard was you were an entrepreneur from the jump. So (laughs) that's what I got out of that. Like you already had that mindset, like I need to make some money and I don't want to depend on someone else giving to me. So I'm going to use my skill set. 
So it could have went a lot different because I thought she was going to say, hey, I was a hacker. You know, I was along with Kevin Mitnick and all those people, you know, something like that. But I'm glad you said you was just programming, helping people pass their tests. That's what I heard. So that's pretty cool. And you mentioned that you're a mother to an eight-year-old young king. Now, we before we even got on this call, you mentioned that there's a distinction between terminology between motherhood and parenthood. So can you tell us a little bit about that first? Absolutely. So when I entered into becoming a parent, right, it really was, I felt the energy of women surrounding me. I felt distinction of motherhood and fatherhood. And what I learned as my son got older was a desire to have an equal share of raising this human being, to believe that we weren't creating biases just by rearing this beautiful young person. So that began a journey with me and his father to have a conversation of what does true co-parenting look like? And the conversation of co-parenting then began of, well, we first must remove the gender rules of parenting because there's an assumption as a mother, I'm more nurturing, so I should probably do bedtime. But I'm not a night person. I'm grumpy at night and I am my best in the morning. And if we truly are honest, putting a child to sleep and giving them safety should be a universal ability of both parents. So that journey became of what actually is the part of motherhood that I get to claim. And as someone that's worked in diversity and inclusion for you know over 15 years, it really became one, a removal of gender norms and a removal of unconscious biases within my parenting, within my household. And where I landed up, I start at the base of me, which is a human and then a parent. And then from there, there's nuances. I am a parent who identifies as a cisgendered female. I'm a parent who also is Black. Right. I'm a parent of an urban experience. And those things, right, allow me to really be, to distinguish all of me as a parent. So when I speak to my son or speak into my son, I know I'm giving him an example of what a Black woman is meant to communicate with him. And that's the base. I'm not teaching him anything dynamic about motherhood. I'm teaching him how to communicate with a cisgendered Black female. And when I share disappointment with him, right, it's coming from that. But understanding how I pour love into him from those scenarios, how I hug him and how I make him feel safe, that is my motherhood, right? How I root him on and how I show up, that is my motherhood. But when it comes to rearing him into a proper young man, that is my parenthood. And I share that with someone else. And when I talk about how I'm teaching him to move into society, that is my cisgendered Black female privilege. And I get to own that also. That is also not my motherhood, which means because it can shift. So knowing that my motherhood is the base of my love, my parenthood is the base of my philosophies. Man, that was so eloquently stated. And I love how you broke that out and broke that down. So thank you for sharing that because I hadn't heard that before. So that causes the paradigm shift within me. I'm sure the listeners would appreciate that as well. And it also gives you license to just be you when you look at that, those clear distinctions and draw that demarcation point between motherhood and parenthood, or if you're a father, fatherhood and parenthood. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Even to that point, like the best advice I ever got, I was still pregnant. And it was from my best friend, who's even more level-headed and based than me. 
And she said to me very distinctly, my son's name is Nathan. She said, Nathan is not yours. Nathan was given to you because you have the proper skills to produce in him what is needed for his future. You are just an employee of his philosophies. So when you take that, you get to remove the ego out of it. And I can, anyone that this is blessing, I will say it makes parenting more fun when you remove the ego out of it. That's so true, though, because it's like, you know, there's only certain things you can't live for him. You can't, in this case, Nathan, you can't live for them, can't decide for them either. You know, they're going to do certain things based on who they become and who they are in that moment. So that also gives them agency to try things as a kid, you know, and be in that space. So that's a phenomenal. So you're a business owner. You've been doing this for a while. You travel all over the world. You give your speaker, you know, you do a ton of different things. So how do you balance being a woman and a mother in today's society with your personal and professional goals? Yeah. So I knew you were going to ask me this question and I've been trying to think of like some awesome answer. And I really haven't figured out an eloquent one. What I know is true with how I've managed, you know, parenting and, and my business. One, I acknowledge that I had my business before I had my son, right? So I've been a business owner for over 20 years. I've only been a mother for eight. So this is only eight year worthy seniority advice. So I had to really understand that my responsibilities with my business weren't allowed to be disrupted simply because I took on a new position. So, and I am very pragmatic with how I go through my life because I've created a life where every hour I enjoy it. So I tend to move very intently throughout my day. So when parenting became a part of it, I had to treat it the same. So I am a very scheduled person. I will say the number one tip of being a successful parent and business owner is to be very time oriented and very at least itinerary oriented. I may not, you know, make something on time, but I can at least tell you how I'm going to move throughout my day. Two was fluidity. So, and I did not realize that this was truly a skill for a long time until I met other people that I realized couldn't do it. But, you know, you and I are speaking, it's 4 p.m. I've been up since 4 a.m where I did a working sprint. I immediately went to a workout. I immediately went home, showered, dressed, and I've been throughout meetings, work, emails, and obligations until we're here. And actually, I haven't seen my office or my home since 8 since I left for that shower, currently in a hotel, um, in transit to another meeting. And at no point have I stopped and said, oh, my day, right? At no point have I worried about, will I get to kiss my son goodnight or, right? Because I know I have an itinerary, but I've allowed myself to trust my day and trust the fluidity of my day and know that my ending is just as sweet as my beginning was and whatever it is I'm in. So definitely stay agile, stay fluid. Don't let the rigged life of business make you feel rigged, you know, and it goes back to that on that day. And I've tried to figure out how to really name this But the main thing is this concept of just having fun, right? If there are things in your life where you feel like you are jumping in and out of joy, then that has nothing to do with your parenthood. It has nothing to do with necessarily the business choices you've made. There is something fundamentally not functioning what you've decided in your life's itinerary that isn't in alignment with you. And I had to learn that very quickly as a parent of like, oh, I'm so frustrated. This baby, it's not this baby. This baby just babying. You haven't created 
a life where you can just exist in this baby, right? You're sitting here and you think you have to go to the meeting or you think, you know, you got to post on Instagram, let people know you sitting here. You think you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that when you truly just get to trust the fun and the enjoyment of your day. And the final point is just God's got to be in it, in your parenting and your decisions. I believe in only living a purposeful life. So everything in my life is purposeful, was intended for me. And the only way I can truly be in alignment with that is if I'm talking to the higher power in which created me. And when I'm choosing to take on new ventures, business, or as a parent, I still get to believe that it's purposeful. My son is always my priority, right? So yes, tomorrow, or, you know, at some point I will be heading to Milan and I will be back next Saturday because there's a track meet. And that's the only reason I'm coming back. And then we'll have that track meet. And I believe I'm back on a plane headed to France and I will be back for the next track meet. And understanding the choices that you will make even before they happen. It's like, I will always choose this, right? This is my beginning. Those are my pillars. That was amazing. Thank you for giving us those pillars. And there's something else there that I hear, and it's this support. So how do you build that support system, what I like to call the 360-degree support system, that really enables you to do everything you need to do, whether it's the, being, the womanhood, the parenthood, the being Rakia, the motherhood, all those things that you are, the business owner. What does that support system look like, and how did you build it? It's built on trust. It is a trusting environment. I'll be honest with you, it's also lean, right? It's not a lot of people. And I actually call them my village. I use the word village for my support system, right? It's my co-parent. It is, you know, it's my mother because she's the best grandmother ever, right? It's my best friends who I know know me instinctively, right? And truly believe in me, who will pray with me. It's my church. It's my pastor. Of course, in a business perspective, it is my advisors. And I will definitely say if there is anyone choosing deep entrepreneurship as a lifetime, you must have an advisement team. So that is the core of my village. And, you know, if anyone is like me, where I'm very type A and very hyper independent, it's hard having a village, especially when you're aspiring to great things, because in your head, you only see yourself. You might see some employees and, you know, you see your investors, you have visions of what your investors might look like. You might, you know, but really at the heart of this, we're really honest. When we think of deep visions of our greatness, it's only us. So when we're striving for our greatness, you know, if you're like me, it feels like you have to look back to go to your village. Be like, oh, okay, let me go ask my mother to pick my son up, right? Or let me go. So why I say trust is so important is because you have to trust that they are walking alongside with you and they are in alignment with your greatness, right? And the reason you can't see them is literally because y'all are on the same line. And, you know, if you're in my vision, you're holding hands. So I, that's the base. And then I know who I can go to. And I think in the world of social media, where we feel like we were supposed to super share to the audience, it's hard to forget, like, when I'm spiraling, I'm going to go to my best friend because I know she's going to pray for me and give me hard truths, right? When I feel like I just need someone to tell me I'm all right and I'm pretty and I'm smart again, I'm going to call my mama. There's no one that's going to tell me better than my mama. So it's also just really you also trusting your village and knowing what they're there for. That's a great answer. Trust, right? That foundation. 
in life and in business is, is super key. So we're having this conversation and I hear all the dope stuff you're doing. So what challenges have you faced specifically, if any, because of your gender and how have you overcome them? You know, I am in technology, right? So the base of my industry, you know, predominantly white men. And even when we go into diverse spaces, it takes a long time for us to get to black women. Also within my industry and most executive spaces, I am a black woman who owns a company. So I'm not an amazing VP that everyone wants to see because she looks like a unicorn. I actually created this space and this opportunity for myself. So even that space tends to be mostly white and cisgendered male. That has been the base of my entire career. And though I love our small increases percentage by percentage every year, it tends to have been the past 20 years of my existence. And what I've learned in that is we, as people of color, generally get to be very bold in creating big companies and ideas for ourselves because there is no one speaking on our behalf in most of the most powerful spaces in our world. And though I love to do it, there is just me sometimes speaking on behalf of a mass of people of color. And then as a woman, you know, I love business. I love big business. I love all of it. And being someone that is business minded, you know, can easily as a black woman just make you look like a really attitudey black woman, right? And really having to search through personal identity of knowing that's not who I am and owning that. And then also maneuvering through social spaces to kind of, you know, I'm not dangerous. I'm here to help. I'm also not the intern. I'm, I also didn't get a free ticket to be here off of a scholarship. Like I'm actually one of you. You know, that is a constant maneuvering. And, you know, the amount of self-care that's required to maneuver through that is truly the biggest, you know, battle I would think of someone in my position has. So I always say within the tech industry, there's so much in diversity and inclusion that we get to do that will never stop because we are talking about inventing a new world. And inventing a new world always required us to push ourselves on a different level for society's sake. Well, that word society brings me to another question. How has societal perceptions of womanhood influenced your personal journey? Well, dating's not fun. Can I be honest with you? And this is me being you know, very vulnerable, right? And even I think just, and this is speaking, I'm going to speak on behalf of just travel-loving Black women everywhere, right? Of just being connected to community or finding new community that's authentic and kind and safe. And I speak and travel a lot about the power of safety. Imagine a world where every single person felt safe. And what is true is the reality of a woman, the reality of a woman of color is they would lie if they told you that 24 hours within their day, they felt safe. And most people right, can actually say that there's always some point in my day where I don't feel safe. And what I've experienced as a woman is, especially now, right? we talk a lot about soft girl summer and all the things of us creating these realities for ourselves. At the base of that, that's just us attempting to create safe environments for ourselves and putting a name on it in a way where it can stake a claim. Because a girl walking up to the yacht with two of her friends to rent it for the day, you know, just so she can go on the water and have fun and have a good day, that looks like hot girl summer. The reality is that's the safest Saturday she will have all summer. And 
we still have right a lot to do as a society to really, especially as a society of color, to identify what in our world just naturally that we just do out of because we're used to it because we've seen, you know, all of the fun parties and the things that this is how we're supposed to engage with one another. But what if we removed all of our preconceived notions of gender and likes and dislikes of how you hit on or how you desire or how you acknowledge and identify a way that we can all do it where everyone feels safe? I just think we'd have better yacht parties. Yeah. And I was going to say that a lot of that comes from, I just feel like there's, you know, overall, there's just this communication is not a skill. It's not common anymore, right? There's a loss of that. And I feel like that's where a lot of this is coming from. You talked about approaching a young woman as a cisgender male, right? Like, how do you do that, right? They approach is all off. And then there's this also this thing of confidence, right? A lot of people feel like they need to belittle or denigrate someone so they can feel better about themselves to big themselves up. So those two C's for me are really where we're lacking, especially on the male side. I'm going to just call it out. Let's see the women killing it, right? Killing it right now, especially black women. Number one in, in entrepreneurship right now, the fastest and most educated demographic. There's all these things. And then you look at men, especially black men, you know, we're kind of lagging behind now. And we just have to change that with those two C's, that confidence and that communication. You know, here's my call right now. This is my challenge to my kings, my guys. We got to do better. We have to, you know, kind of relearn. And if you don't know how, there are communities of us, of men learning those things. And it's okay because, you know, a lot of us grew up without our fathers. We weren't readily receiving what we needed to receive to become that man that maybe we want to be. We just don't know how. So I'm glad we're having that conversation too, because I think that is very important if we are to take our society to the next level, because right now we're, let's be honest, we're really regressing in that soft, the atmosphere of safety. You know, we always talk about how this is the the safest time period because we're not in primitive arenas. We're getting eaten by saber tooths, but it's a different type of safety and security that we're lacking, right? That psychological, that emotional, that mental, that we really need to get back. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I would agree with you. Yeah. And there's a lot of evolution there, right? We talk about like the power. I was a sociology major and really the heart of our societies, the heart of our art, the heart of our creativity, right? The heart of our people is the belief that we are meant to be better and a desire for improvement of better. And the idea that we might be at a society that kind of has full stopped and they're like, oh, no, we're doing pretty good. Like We did it. Like, look, you know, that is as an innovator, as an inventor, as a creative, that is scary. I also know it starts at the heart of society. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. We could have a whole nother discussion that could go on for days, actually, on all of that. So I have a question about, you know, how has we're talking and clearly you are a very mature and very amazing person, but how has your concept of womanhood evolved over time? Oh, that is such a fun question. So I have really, as in my older, my now in woman journey, especially to the point of saying like belief of better. I think in my college years, and even after that, my belief of womanhood was just simply independent. It was being cute, independent, and financially strong, right? And now I've really landed on this desire of being my best virtuous woman. And 
all in which a virtuous woman accomplishes. And I think for me, that means one, a deeper sense of stillness and self, an authentic self, right? A belief in values, which means a requirement of deeply defined values. And someone that kind of this ability to not only have a full cup, but to be in position to help, to nurture, to care, to pour into. And I think sometimes when we talk about women, we usually are talking about the best of virtuous women, right? Because when we say, oh, a nurturing woman, and even men are like, oh, I just wish a woman would just be kind and cook for me, right? Like these are things that a woman with a deep, full cup and a strong base would do, right? Because that desire is coming from an overpour. So in this kind of new part of life, you know, I've really been on Virtuous Girl Summer, I guess, of not only reading more, but learning more. Me and my girlfriend talk a lot about what are you learning? It's not so much about what are you reading, but what are you deeply learning? What are the new practices you're instilling in yourself? And then it's just desire to be the best of you. I think I spent a lot of my womanhood worried about my appearance and not so much of if my appearance was attractive to me, not even if it was attractive to one or two individuals, was it of acceptance to the norms of beauty? And now in this new of, you know, desire of virtuous woman, I want the healthiest version of me. I want the strongest version of me. I want the most hydrated version of me. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I can look at my skin, I can look at myself, I can look at how, you know, my posture is. I'm like, yes, you look beautiful because you are of your best. And that, you know, is an exciting new definition for me, a new practice for me in my womanhood. I love that. And so I have a question. How did you identify your values? How did you get to this point where you want that virtuous woman summer? You know, a good Bible will get you there and a good pastor. I got to be honest. It started with my spiritual base, deep desire to have a, a deeper spiritual connection for me to be in alignment with the deeper part of me. I have a huge analogy of this, this kind of terrible deal that I made with God at a really dark time in my life. And the deal was just more of like, why you got me down here doing all this? I don't want to be down. It's hard down here. And my, belief that anger turned into this belief of, well, I'm down here to train, right? Like this is practice, beloved. Like this is simply for you to get your warrior up in you. We in boot camp right now. And whenever, you know, bad things would happen, my approach shifted. My approach then became, all right, well, I guess you need me to be some type of special, you know, communication angel when this is all over, because you're making me have these conversations I want to have with people, right? Or maybe I'm supposed to be the financial blessings angel because you're making me put a lot of faith and my belief of my ideas and requiring me to invest in myself in a way, right? So now I have these very kind of satiric conversations with God of like, you must think I'm just going to be the cutest little angel because you keep putting me through these tests that I don't really want to be a part of. And that understanding really led me to a desire to get deeper into the reading of my Bible, not from a place back to my, what what are you learning? Not from this like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do, but more of like, why do we keep referencing this book? Let me read it just as I would read a Tony Robbins, just as I would read, right? All these amazing life authors. Let me actually read it like you are my Tony Robbins. You are 
right? My inspiration. You are my advisor. And I read it that way. And eventually, very quickly, these stories, you know, of just general people, really, if you break it from that point, are simply just people either deeply putting their faith in, standing true to a principled faith, or finding out a new principled faith on behalf of God. And through, right, these little things that I go through. And that began my understanding of, okay, let me give myself a little bit more Moses honor. Let me give myself a little bit more Isaiah, you know, grace. Let me give myself a little bit more Elijah confidence. You know, let me give myself a little bit of benefit, right? And not any doubt. And those principles became, you know, I'm strong like Elijah. I'm smart like Isaac. I'm steadfast like Moses. Right. And those became my searches of being the best virtuous woman I could be, I would say. Now, that's beautiful. With this being the podcast for leaders, I have to ask, how has your involvement with faith and womanhood morphed your leadership style? I believe in people now. Right. I will say that is the only shift it created. You know, I go back to what I said earlier. When you have a big vision, I'm someone that had a big vision at 19 years old. I've spent most of my career with people bringing me their big, the biggest ideas they've never thought were possible to build. And I launched them into markets all over the globe. And because of that, I had a lot of ego that needed to be, you could imagine, right? The ego of that person. You know, Mark Zuckerberg had nothing on me at that time. And to be honest, and I think anyone that was worked under me for my first 10 years of my career could easily say I was a terrible leader. Did I get us to great? Yes. Did I get us the deal, the conference, the project? Did we win? Absolutely. And I was also, you know, the captain on the team that yelled at everybody. And, you know, because I kept winning, I thought it was fine. It took me a long time to realize that people worked for me and went home and, you know, talked about me at the dinner table, probably to their spouse, right? I was that boss and I was young. And I think when you have success, it's also very hard to get someone to be honest with you, to say, you're killing it. They want to kill you. Like, this isn't fun for anyone. And I just didn't have one, all my friends were my same age. They, you know, so no one really had the capability of advisement as I was trying to run you know, a multi-million dollar agency. And I was, you know, just 25 years old. So my journey to being a more spiritual person, my journey to being a more virtuous woman, my journey to becoming a mother are all blessings because it did allow me to be a stronger leader. I care about my people. You know, I care about what we do. We say no to things. I intentionally have an all-female staff. I intentionally, and now at this point in my career, unapologetically, have a Black female leading team. And we build, we still build unapologetic things. We still are winning. But, you know, we also go to happy hour together now, right? So <laughs> They actually want to hang with you now, huh? <laughs> they want to hang with me now. So it is a blessing. So I would really encourage anyone deeply in leadership, challenge yourself to be told how you can improve. Never believe that you are killing it. Never believe that no matter what the numbers say, never believe that you have to stop learning or advancing yourself and always have someone on your, and I have a strong theory about the power of your advisement board. You should have a personal advisement board and a business advisement board. Have someone on both advisement boards that will tell you about you. So for me, on my personal, it's my brother. He, he does not care about who I am and he will tell me about me. 
And on my business side, I have a business advisor that's been with me for 15 years and he doesn't understand half of the work we do now, but he gives us the best business advice. Yeah. He doesn't need to because you're the expert in that, right? So he, he has a different role. But you have to want to be a leader. I have a talk that I give and it starts very simply of the decision to lead is the commitment for people to follow, which means that you have taken on the responsibility that when you say go, someone's going to go. And if you, you know, have not looked over that bridge to make sure that it is safe on their behalf, that is your go. So the belief, I want to be a leader, I really want to be a boss, I really want to, that all that energy, bring all that up. And I challenge a piece of homework for anyone, write down everything that you would want to people to follow you into. Like I know my team can follow me into a hard or big idea. I know that we can land in Nigeria, build something that everyone says is impossible, go have a drink before we get on the plane and all go back home to our families. I know I can do that and lead that way. But if you say, Rakia, can you lead us in planning a birthday party on Saturday at 11? I'm not that leader, right? It's going to be chaos and no one should follow me. So really own what you're asking people to do on your behalf. That should be the base and write that all down. What am I asking people to do with my leadership? And breathe that back to yourself and really kind of audit it. Like, is that safe? Is that kind? Is that good for them or just for me? That's a great question. And it causes that introspection. You got to really know, like, you know, am I comfortable with that? Like, am I comfortable with the ups and the downs? Because there's two sides to that, right? In the military, we always said, you know, you can be wrong, but be wrong confidently. (laughs) You know, be comfortable with what can come out of that decision that you just made when you have your whole troops and your whole your squad following you into this thing. You know, make sure you're willing to take ownership of what comes with that, the consequences, because it may not go how you want it or it may go even better than expected. Yeah, that's true. So you mentioned earlier how you unapologetically have, you know, black leadership staff and you have women only staff, you know, so how do you foster, how would you tell our designers who may not be at that point yet in their organization, how would you tell them to foster a a positive and inclusive culture in their organizations? What are some things they can start with? Say it, right? That's the very first thing. So as you look at your business mission and your business vision, does it speak to what it is, you know, you're intending. So if you look at Copper and Vine's vision, we are a business, we are building business innovation on behalf of people globally, right? So it's in there, we say that, right? It doesn't, it means that when it comes to our principles and how we develop things, we are always going to look on behalf of the greater good of all. So that would be number one. And then two, just get really clear about what your impact looks like. We talked about leadership, but understanding that leadership drives impact and impact means change and change on behalf of all. So if you are creating change, if you're choosing change, which means that you have a vision that is saying on behalf of all or we on globally or or some regard, then getting really clear on the vision of that impact. I know that with our vision, our impact will be that we will reduce or remove the digital divide amongst communities of color and amongst countries globally as we build. So the more we build at Copper and Vine, the more we will reduce the global digital divide for all. 
So having a deep vision of your impact, and it gets to be big, it gets to feel impossible, right? I have a client that they plan to create world peace. That is everything they do. And one might look at it and be like, you ain't going to do that. Maybe not in their lifetime, but the solutions and products they create in this world may one day. So choosing that, and then you get to be really unapologetic about it. You know, I don't do conferences that do not speak to a global and diverse group, right? I will not accept an award that has a judge base that is all white men or all men or, you know, not people of color. I won't participate in content that doesn't produce inclusivity. So believing that your no's get to be intentional on behalf of your impact and your vision. And be bold about it. Actually believe that you can create change, distinctive and systematic change in this world, that you can disrupt Instagram, that you can disrupt right what we know to be true. Um, really believe that in yourself if you're making the claim that you are going you know, to really have an impactful business structure. Well said. And I love that you provided a true example from your organization. So we're going to switch to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. Are you ready? Yes. So you touched on this actually earlier. So what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation? Convincing others truly a life that you don't retreat from and that you truly love. And not even convincing them, but just like dealing with the fact that they don't believe you. And then convincing others that they too can have a life like that. It's not that hard. Um, So convincing others. Number two is what is the best lesson that you've learned from your entrepreneurial journey? It gets to be bigger. There's no vision too small. Yeah, there's no vision too big. Was that wrong? There's no vision too big. It gets to be bigger. Number three, what are three tools or tips that you would recommend when scaling a business? One is a tool. Establish your business from the beginning. A great site that I love is Gust, G-U-S-T dot com. With a $1,000 investment in yourself, they will establish your business in Delaware. They will make it corporation accessible and you will be standing up with the EIN and ready to take on venture within 24 hours. So Gus, tell them I sent you. And two would be a tip, write it down. So a really great tip I got, I think it was by way of Steve Harvey, and then it was reworked by my pastor. And it's been, I think, reworked again, but it's a 300 list of questions or wishes for God. That same request is now 300 visions that you have for your business. So, and it's easy, right? If someone's like, oh, I don't have 300. It's like, yes, you do. If you actually believe that this is bigger than you could ever imagine, then think of all the things that would happen. I don't care if you just write down the next 300 days of your business venture, right? But 300 impossible, amazing things that get to happen with this business. And that's going to start your vision. So that's going to start your honest and authentic vision. So write down your biggest, longest, wishful business vision. And then number three is remove yourself. And I mean this really deeply. When you create this company, we're going to remember it's a company. Emphasize why I'm saying that. It's going to feel very personal and it's going to feel very necessary and tied to you. It will feel like your child. And you will need to nurture it. You will need to take care of it. You will need to do all the things you need to do for it to grow. You also get to have identity beyond it. And especially as a person of color, and especially if you are a woman, 
your business is simply just one fantastic idea in the multitude of your mind. It is the thing that simply your body, your essence, your spirit believes meant to be done. You wouldn't be envisioning it if every part of you didn't know it was already possible. So write it down, give it a name. You can change the name later. Get a logo. You can change the logo later. Do all the things, stand it up, get a bit venture, invest in yourself and step back and begin to now say, okay, well, who am I now that I did the thing that's been on my mind for however long it's been on and move on? Yeah, I love that. That is just a part of you, a piece of you, right? Oftentimes, especially as, you know, first generation entrepreneurs, like you said, it becomes our baby and it's just so hard to relinquish that control, but it's so necessary if you really want it to grow and get to that point where you had that big vision, right? So you tied those in. Somehow you made all those come in together. So that was pretty dope. So I got one more question. Before we get to the close of this thing, I just want to add one more. You're very successful. You're a mother. You're a phenomenal woman. So what advice would you give to a young woman starting out in the business world? I will say all the things I wish someone said to me. You're going to fail and that's okay. You get to do it cute. People are going to make you feel like you don't get to do it cute. People are going to make you feel like if you got to have a ponytail and look like you haven't suffered. For, and I mean this in motherhood and business venture, you get to do it cute. Head down, Brian, Beyonce actually is telling the truth. Like head down, do what you got to do. Do not worry about letting people know what you're going to do. Just do what you got to do. And who's supposed to see it will see it be so good. They cannot ignore you. Do not worry about accolades or audience. You heard it here, designers. So Rakia, you have dropped so much information. This has been a fantastic conversation. So how can people connect with you? I would love to connect with people. I'm really easy. I'm the only Rakia Finley in the entire world. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. I always say, if you see something badly written about a Rakia Finley, that's the other Rakia Finley. But for the most part, all the good things you see. But yeah, so you can find me and reach me on any of those social media sections. You can also go to Rakia, R-A-K-I-A dot club. And that'll give you a couple of things, links. It also has access to my calendar. So I do leave 10% of my calendar free to provide free consultation, advisement, support. So go to rakia.club. You'll find the link. Get on my calendar. I'd love to help. And if you have a really big idea and you do not need to know how to build it, once you go to Gus, go to coppervine.io. We are a product development company. We work with founders, startups, idea havers, creatives, inventors. Our entire job is to take your idea and put it into the market. We advise you on it. We design it on your behalf. We launch it on your behalf. We talk a lot about there's a lot of drag and drop things out there. If you are thinking of building a big thing, build it. Do not hand it over to somebody else by utilizing those systems. So let us build your big idea. So yeah, that's how you can reach me. I look forward to connecting with everyone. Well, I love it. I appreciate your time. You know, keep ascending and please let us know how we can help you over at the Design Your Business Podcast. If you have something big, you're welcome back to the show. And remember, designers, keep ascending. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. 
Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.